enthusiasm of Gitanjali, uh, which has been very infectious. She has been very keen for attending this topic in the dining hall. And it's a joy and a privilege to be able to offer anything at her feet. So in that spirit, we can share a few insights on the art of parenting. But it's a very vast topic and one hour or one and a half hour is a very short time. There is a very beautiful shloka and like all shlokas, a misquoted shloka which we all know and the shloka reads like this, something to this effect, Matri Devo Bhava, Pitra Devo Bhava, Acharya Devo Bhava, it's often quoted by well-meaning parents to tell a child that the mother is like God, the father is like God, the teacher is like God. I suppose that is okay, but there is an other way to, to interpret the sloka. There is an other way to understand it. Is that's the way I have understood it. It's not a sloka referring to the child, but a sloka which directly touches the parents and the teachers in very terse way, in a very neat and tight way. It invites us to be as a God in parenthood. It's almost like if one has to render it freely, it would mean, Oh Mother, be as a God to the child. Oh Father, be as a God to the child. Oh Teacher, be as a God to the child. It's an invitation to all of us to be as a God to the child. Something very similar we find in the story of Yagyavark. Shobindra speaks about it in the synthesis and in one of his letters. And he gives again the double interpretation to his famous words when he is asked by his wife about love one has for the wife, for the country, for the child. He says very beautifully, very cryptically, one does not love the wife for the sake of the wife, but for the sake of the self. One does not love the child for the sake of the child, but for the sake of the self. One does not love the country for the sake of the country, but for the sake of the self. And Shobindo very beautifully interprets it that when we live in the lower self, we love for the sake of the lower self. And when we live in the higher self, love does not vanish. There is a misconception that one abandons everything, but we all know here, Mother speaks of divine perfection in everything. And one of the areas which is very neglected in terms of perfection is the field of human relationship. That's why we have so many conflicts and quarrels, so many difficulties, because that's where we just want to abandon everything and not perfect it. So he says, one should love these things, but not for the sake of the lower self, but for the sake of the higher self. 
the way divine engages with the world. He does not abandon the world. He engages very actively in the world at each moment, but from a higher standpoint. In other words, we can divide parenting to use a modern metaphors in two or three styles. One is the ego parenting. Ego parenting is when we love the child or for that matter with anything else for the sake of the lower self, for the sake of the ego. Now what really is ego? Ego is not just as we understand about uh, pride and prejudice etc. That is of course ego but a very gross manifestation. Ego is simply identifying with a particular set of thoughts, ideas, feelings, passions, impulses and thinking that is truth and all else with which we are not identified or our self is not identified with, we think that is not true, that is not right, that is not correct. So when we love the child or for that matter anyone because it can apply to any situation or relationship, for the sake of the lower self, we want to see a reflection of the ego image in the other person. So ego parenting would mean that I have a certain set of ideas of what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. I have a certain tendency, set of tendencies, certain traditions, certain way of living, habits, things which I have gathered from parents, my past, my social circumstances, my teachers, books, etc, etc. And I want to see in the child a replication of that. Now, these things, this method, it's not that this method is all bad. This method works alright if the parents are of a very sattvic nature. So this method is alright to an extent that it replicates a certain sattvic type of humanity but we all know it's not easy for human beings to ascend even to the level of sattvic nature. So very often when we try to do this, we end up creating a caricature and a bad caricature of ourselves. Sometime back, you know, we have been hearing about clones and lot of things came about cloning, that one day people will, you know, clone human beings. And scientific world is very excited about it. But actually it is a very bad and misguided excitement. Clones are like carbon copies. And we all know that every time we make a carbon copy or a Xerox copy, we lose something of that original thing. It becomes fainter and fainter and fainter. To an extent that after some time, everything becomes distorted and faint. We only say there is an impression of something there. So when we try to even inculcate a sattvic kind of reflection, which is the best human beings can do in ego parenting, with every generation it becomes lesser and lesser and lesser. And we know the stories of many great people who could not reproduce, perhaps they did not want to reproduce, their own image in the child. Ego parenting is a very, very restrictive and this is only when it's at the best. But usually ego parenting is very disadvantageous. Why? Because it limits and restricts. Second, 
and mother repeatedly points us out, it cannot create a new time, which is what is the effort now. It sets a limit. As I am, so will my child become. He cannot become something more, something greater, something vaster. So I provide within a prison. And today as we know, thanks to the divine intervention, all prisons are being broken for something greater to much. Now ego parenting can be done in so many ways. One method which is the crude method is when parents try to force the child to conform to certain set ideas, set methods, set principles, set customs, set habits. Get up in the morning, touch the feet of the elders. It's alright. But elders do not question themselves whether we are worthy of this respect or not. So a falsehood tends to perpetuate itself. Come, stand before God and offer a prayer. Now if the prayer doesn't develop from the heart, it becomes mechanical, it becomes ritual, a routine. After a time it loses force. It becomes even a farce. So ego parenting, but sometimes people do it with force and they are very happy to see very well-behaved, good-mannered children. But many times, the soul is stifled inside this good appearance. And what we want is a living soul and not just an outer cover and a polish. The second way, which is a subtler way of ego-parenting, the crude way is by force, by the so-called reward, punishment, etc, etc. The subtler way is by emotionally blackmailing the child. The parent will not uh, hit the child, they will hit themselves. They will not do violence towards the child, but they will do violence towards themselves. Oh, if you are like this, I will not eat. Mama is unhappy, Papa is unhappy. Now the child feels a compulsion to conform to the parents and it's a very sad thing because eventually violence whether it be due towards another or towards oneself always leaves all kinds of negative results. So ego parenting is something which preferably should be set aside. It has its, it had its place probably to a certain type of nature it works. But as we have seen, it works within limits and these limits are very, very narrow and it can never create a new type of humanity. Therefore, for a new type of humanity, we have to go to another kind of parenting. The second type of parenting is the universal parenting. Here the parents are absent either physically or psychologically and the child is picks up from several parents, from the sky, from the birds, from the butterflies, from the flowers, but also from the snake, from the worm, from the titan, from the demon, everything. He's, the universal teacher is at play, guiding the child. It is a step better than ego parenting because there is a vastness which develops. It is known that children who grow up like this eventually turn out to be more capable in handling things. It is well known, even at the level of animals, Mother One Place speaks about the purebred dogs and the street dogs. And she says how the street dog in many ways is smarter 
more intelligence, more capital in many ways. Whereas the purebred dog is specific to one type of activity, but he cannot develop in a multi-sided way. So universal parenting is being done largely today by a lot of people unknowingly. Parents don't have time, they don't have the expertise to parent the child in the right way. So the child picks up from a world of things. Unfortunately, like the previous one, it has its own problems. The child picks up many things and cannot assimilate the kind of things he picks up. So as a result, he gets a very mixed baggage. But at least he breaks the limit. One advantage is that he breaks the mold of a fixed time. But the third type of parenting, which is what we, I think, should focus upon, is the divine parenting. Now, this comes from a fact that there is a kind of relation we can form with the divine. The relation of the father, of mother, of friend, of playfellow, comrade, of master, of teacher, of beloved. And divine, how does he deal with us, with this earth, with creation, when he parents us? After all, he is the original parent. So we have to pick up cues from him. He shows us the way. How to parent? What is his way? The first thing that the divine does is, is he gives us infinite freedom. The second thing he does is, his method is a method of infinite plasticity. And the third thing which he has is infinite love and patience the infinite love of a mother and the infinite patience of a father. That is how he parents. What is freedom? What is infinite freedom? We are very scared of it. There is a kind of malady which has somehow entered into the human mind which is, which can be termed as the zero error syndrome. A child should make no mistakes. To put it in another way, it means a child, if I have to teach him walking, he should never fall. So in the process, one confines the child to a wheelchair and says, no, no, if you walk, you will fall. Now what would happen to such a child? He will never walk, he will never fall, he will never learn to run, he will never climb Mount Everest. He has never fallen but he has never risen. He is confined to a chair all his life. Now, the same thing we do to a child psychologically. We confine him psychologically. We make a set of rules. Do this, don't do this. You will fall, you will commit a mistake. It is erroneous. So as a result, the child is full of fears, all kinds of fears. He has never made mistakes, but he has never learned to run. He has never learned to leap. So this zero error syndrome confines the child. But divine gives freedom. Sometimes a long road. There are very beautiful stories of mother and children. And we all know them here. How to one of the disciples, Shirobindo says, when he asked him, Lord, why did you give me such a long road to do things? Now you are telling me thus far and no further. You encourage me to go this far. 
Shurita says, with his characteristic sense of humor, to see how far you can go. To see how far you can go. So, there is freedom allows a child to explore. And when he explores, he experiences. When he experiences, he learns in a concrete way. And when he learns in a concrete way, he learns how to choose responsibly. A sense of freedom is to reach a point where you can learn to make responsible choices. But if all the time somebody else is choosing for me everything, from the dress I should wear, to the career I should take, to the God I should worship, to the place I should go, then the child will, you know, all the time look up to the parent, what should I do next? He has not developed himself. Such children lack authenticity in whatever they do. They do things very right, but there is no authenticity. There is always a feeling that it's not he who is doing it. There is some other thing inside. He wears a mask, a very nice mask sometimes, but as mother says, masks are very dangerous, very dangerous. The child learns to gesture and posture in a certain way because it appeals. People are pleased by that. He learns to put a facade. But divine doesn't like that. So he gives us freedom to explore. Whatever we are, we are authentic. We are outside what we are inside. And that's how the child learns not to be a hypocrite. And through this freedom, what is the role of parents then? Parents should be there just as divine is present. Now witnessing, now intervening, now witnessing, now intervening. Just to give the right direction at the crucial juncture, the right touch, the little understanding, that's enough. A little direction here or there, like a, you know, a good cardinal does. A little pruning here, a little pruning there, a little tilting of the branch towards the light, orienting. He lays a very large broad framework and helps the child to grow through that freedom. Within that framework he explores. Then he comes to the limits of that frame. Then he goes further. So that kind of freedom. So freedom is not abandoning the child or letting the child do anything. The parents are present. They know what the child is doing. They know this is mistake. Sometimes these errors have to be made and go through them. But they are there to see that the error does not become a total misadventure. So there has to be, it's a very, it's, a, it's an art. That's why I like the word Gitanji use, the art of parenting. It's, it's not a technique, it's an art to understand that this freedom, which way it is going. And for that one has to oneself have lived with that sense of freedom inside. Then there is infinite plasticity in divine's methods. The moment we read a book which says this is the only way to parent a child, we can be sure it's wrong. An ideal book gives us a very vast framework, like Shurabindu. When he writes, he gives such a vast framework and leaves our own nature and soul to fill in the dots and the blanks. He gives a vast framework, open to the divine, for instance in yoga. Now each one does it in his own way, because each nature is different. So he says you have to... Plasticity means two things. One, what is useful at one stage is not useful at another. And we can compare it with the sowing of a seed and its growth into a tree. 
when the seed is sown or before the seed is sown, the soil has to be tilled. The soil of the parents own, you know, who are going to bring the seed. We forget to do that. The soil has to be turned over so that, you know, it can open in every way to the light and the winds and everything. Then when the soil is in the earth, inside the earth, there is waste and mud and what not which goes into the growing of the seed, bursting of the seed. Then when the seed comes out, is exposed to the light, good farmers watch over it, good gardeners or put a little fence, a small fence so that animals don't come and eat away. But slowly that fence has to be removed. One has to see that no other tree is overhanging it. That is why mother repeatedly says, in this yoga nobody else is influenced except mother and children. Because it's very dangerous when somebody else is hanging over us, we cannot grow freely. So parents have to see that the farmer or the gardener stands by the side, he is not all the time brooding over it. And the fences have to be removed at one time and the tree has to be set free. At different stages, the needs of the child are different. The way of dealing has to be different. Stories work very well when the child is below 5 years old and in some of us always because there is a little child in all of us. But at another age, they do not work. For them, another kind of method has to be used. Errors are okay at one stage, at another stage they become dangerous because as one becomes responsible, errors can have large consequences. Yet errors were steps on the way. There is a very nice story of, while we are talking about it, of Thomas Alva Edison. We know that he tried to make this electric bulb. He failed, they say, almost 999 times and a thousand times he succeeded. So someone asked him in one of the interviews, Sir, you failed 999 times. How could you perceive and get it right the next time? He says, no, I didn't fail 999 times. What I was trying to do was a thousand steps procedure. Everything that I made as a mistake taught me something. In other words, to make the child conscious. That's why plasticity is necessary. Child does something. Discuss with the child, reason out with the child. We don't reason out and reason out a hundred times. And when we reason out, it is not like this is right, this is wrong. When we reason out, thus far you were right and here things went wrong. So the child begins to develop a complex plasticity. He begins to appreciate the little shades of things. I was right thus far, here things went wrong. It's not that things are right or wrong like black and white. In human life it doesn't work out. If we give such strong, draw a line and say this is black and this is white, human life, the child does not know then how to choose. Things are so badly intertwined. Truth and error are intertwined in human life and through error the divine works out his truth. Through pain he works out his delight. Through death he works out a dream of an eternal life. So infinite plasticity. To allow for the second thing in infinite plasticity is to allow for the 
child's own intrinsic nature to come out. What we know as Swabhava and Swadharma. Every child is different. There are children who are spontaneously attracted to knowledge. They love to read. They love to gather information. And they should be assisted in that development. But if we want every child to do homework and be a seeker after knowledge, then we are doing a big mistake. There are children who are born leaders and they can be very difficult as children. They rebel, they revolt, they raise questions. And we have to train them their own way, educate them their own way. You cannot tell them, do this, read this, here it is written, read that book. No. They have to be educated in another way. Then there are children who by nature are very loving, very soft, tender, delicate. They have to be nurtured in very different ways. So each nature is different and that has to be taken into consideration. In other words, there is a great plasticity in our dealing with a child. What applies to one does not apply to another. Shri speaks in his letters, one of his letters, he says, what I write to X does not necessarily apply, uh, does not necessarily apply to Y. To someone who is eating less, sleeping less, I may say, eat more, sleep more. To another person, I may say, just the contrary. Yet we have a habit of quoting based on our own likes and dislikes. There are people who are strict with themselves like a disciplinarian, very rigid. And they keep quoting things from discipline, discipline, discipline. There are others who are lovers of freedom. They keep quoting the other things. Freedom, freedom, freedom. But unless we have read, understood, applied the totality, we cannot comprehend the vastness. And that vastness, this calls for plasticity. Plasticity can only come when our consciousness is vast. If it's very small, we cannot be plastic. We like to see things cut and dry into this or that. So plasticity is very important and of course love and patience. So what are the methods? One method is divine works from within outwards. But we love to do things immediately. So we like to, you know, like in some gardens you have these trees shaped in shapes of animal. They have cut the hedges and shaped like an animal. Some people like it, but it looks very grotesque. That is not how a tree is meant to be. Pruning from outside. A tree grows from inside outward. A flower grows from inside outward. So if we only tease the child good manners or simply a ritualistic religion, there is no inner truth. What is necessary is to develop the inner truth. And from there, naturally leave the child to free to develop it externally. It is the inner which must be developed and from there the external rather than the other way around. That is the external is worked upon, the inner is automatically developed. And being in the background of army, I know how short-lived can external methods be. I have seen people extremely taught under army discipline for decades. It takes one moment for that discipline to rupture. 
when they are left to themselves. The same person who has learned all the time to be punctual, to say yes sir, to obey the superiors, when it comes to his own life, he cannot exercise control over smoking and drinking, elementary things. He cannot, because he has not learned the art of internal discipline. Internal discipline is always from inside outward. What really is that discipline? It means, one, to conserve force, second, to channelize it. Discipline is not about a set of do's and don'ts. Oh, he is a very disciplined child. Every time he, the teacher comes, he stands up and says, Good morning, teacher. That is our idea of discipline. What he does with his inner thoughts and feelings, we don't know. He may be nastiest inside, but that is alright. Whereas true discipline is to know how to conserve the force of nature and to direct it in, channelize it in suitable activities. In other words, we have to provide a number of activities. We just can't say don't watch TV. The problem is what does the child do in that case? So we have to provide alternatives. Children have abundant energy and they need to be given alternatives. They are not like us, tired and exhausted and when we get back we just want to relax. They have abundant energy. That's why we have such a beautiful thing here. The physical education. We don't realize its great importance. It keeps away so many useless things. One of the most practical ways to channelize energy is intense physical education. Of course, music, arts, all these are ways to channelize and to conserve. That's discipline. So to work from within outwards. The second thing is to work from near to the far. It's no point giving the child a whole set of philosophical ideas over a brain and mind which is not developed. And say, only read this. First the mind should develop, the different parts must develop. Then only he will be able to assimilate these things. He should read general things also. He should have diverse points of views. To develop his mind, he should have different kind of approaches to life and then he will have a necessary background to develop. The divine works like that. He does not straight away, you know, sometimes we are very impatient. We say, oh, I have been for one year and he has not changed. Some people apply it in yoga also. 30 years, 40 years, you see, people have not changed. Shall the child already be the man? There is a line in Savitri. Savitri confronts death and says, how can the child already be the man? The divine and nature spends 25 years just to develop a small seed into an adult. And we are so impatient, either when it comes to our own self, or to yogic life, or of course to children, immediately they should change. They will take time. And the greater the change and besides the more time, just the physical growth takes 25 years. Leave aside psychological growth, spiritual growth, which are bound to take time. One has to have patience from the near to the far. And second, the child should participate in his growth. What should we say is consulting the mind in its own growth. Nothing to be imposed and hammered, which means two things. First, listen to the child. This is a very nice book. How to talk to kids. So kids will listen and then the book says in small letter down below and how to listen to them. 
we are in a hurry to say, no, no, don't bother me, no, this is not right. Listen to the child, listen to his logic, listen to his argument, listen to his uh, feelings. Let's not invalidate him. We invalidate the child by immediately passing a judgment. When we listen to the child, the child feels he is authentic. He feels he is real. He feels he is a being and not just a shadow. He feels he is a person. And then when we have heard him, listened to him, then we speak to him. And then we gradually lead him from his standpoint to where he should go. So this is called consulting the child, participating. When we talk about discipline, not just, okay, six to seven you are going to do the homework. Talk to him that, look, you need to study why. The child should discuss why you need to study. So what time do you think is fine with you? So let the child be a participant. And it is a longer way, but a more complete way. And with that we come to the last part. What really are the elements that needs to develop in a child? We of course have all read about the five-fold education. And putting it in the Indian perspective, we can say that there are these five elements which need to develop. And if we ignore one element and develop another, then how the development can become counterproductive? Now these five elements we know are, you know, the earth, the water, the air, fire and space. So we can take them as each part of the being. Water, uh, the earth is the physical principle that must develop. And that we all know, it develops by certain elements, physical education, the right nutrients, etc, etc. There is a whole science on the subject and we need not go into it. But it is the basis for all the others. Evolution on earth is on the basis of the earth principle. If this is neglected, unfortunately everything else is neglected. Water doesn't flow in air, it flows on earth. Air, if there is no earth, dissolves into space. The earth binds air, holds it, so that there is atmosphere, there is seasons. Space is again in reference to objects. We cannot conceive of objectless space. Everything is on the basis of earth. It cannot be neglected, the physical basis. Everything comes out of earth, it has infinite potentials. There are two complete truths, one in the earth, the other is in the supreme. All the rest in between are partial expressions. So earth is a very important principle. The second is water. Water is the lower prana in us, the force of life which rejuvenates earth, which brings out the possibilities. It flows close to the earth. It is not like the higher prana in the mind. It is connected with the earth, flows upon it and one has to work upon it, you know, it is the lower vital movements. Now if, you know, it, it engages in an interchange with embodied beings. Now if we neglect this part, then we become like a desert. 
there is that's why sometimes people say why this lower vital is made at all if divine only wanted he should have just cancelled this part because all the struggle lies there well it is important as a link its transformation is necessary for the earth to flower it is not something to be annul if it is annul human beings will become like sahara desert you have earth and you have air no water to link the two so this water has to be something pure something well directed stream channelized if it is very forceful you have to have dams and outlets it's a very difficult part and yet it is the life giving part in the sense it brings things from us brings the hidden possibility it goes deep inside and brings things from the depths that is the great significance of the lower right in one of the letters mother says my child you don't know what treasures lie there the vedas speak of the treasures lying in the caves which have to be brought out so water is go and bring it out and training of the lower vital through music again through games through right channelizing through conscious interchange rather than unconscious interchange is all very necessary for human life the third of course is the air element the maruts the wind which belongs to the higher vital and the mind they are the expanders of life they carry things from the earth from one point to another what it means is that the emotional being and the mental being the thought must be wide and vast the heart should not be kept only around the family some people are very happy if the child is very attached to the family but sometimes it's a matter of great sorrow because the child doesn't grow beyond the family. he lives a very kept life he knows only in fact there are various levels of family the family of physical origin we know only that as the child grows he must develop another kind of family through friends not just relatives relatives are a dangerous breed that's why they are called relatives in english language means they should be treated as relative not absolute truths so the child grows and develops another kind of family family of his emotion with whom he can relate with whom he works interchanges the forces and energies then intellectual family the spiritual family the commune and finally the whole earth has one family vasudev kutum how can we realize the dream if we teach the child only respect the family and the family members and one family against another and then we expect the child to be you know flowering but parents sometimes are very happy if children will never leave home they will always respect and just whatever you know i will be where my parents are parents are very happy because it satisfies the ego and that's what we talk about ego parenting but true parenting is to set the child free to explore emotionally they should be very happy if the child is not dependent on the parents if the child can extend beyond the family and love another human being so make the heart vast the maruts that is their nature if you keep in them air gets unpure it gets polluted if you leave it free it becomes a storm so one should learn how to expand in the heart how to expand in the thoughts towards wider things greater horizons 
So wideness, expansion, all this needs freedom and plasticity. So we come back to the same thing. This is necessary that the child should be exposed to many kinds of things. Many kinds of beautiful things, of course. He will get the other exposure on his own. And then, of course, the fire element. The fire is the great purifier. Fire does three things. It uplifts everything. Whatever you throw into it is uplifting. It purifies everything. And to do that, one has to learn to sacrifice into the fire. So if children can learn, this is what Mother speaks of as the psychic education. That there is in us a part whose touch can change things. All other kinds of moral teaching from outside are very artificial. There are no absolutely correct moral rules at the moral level. That's the unfortunate part. Obedience is very good, alright. But Hitler's army obeyed him and caused a great disaster. We equally cannot say disobedience is good. So at the human level, moral nature is only an intermediate thing. It is not the ultimate. The right response can only come from the hidden psychic. How to light this fire? Very simple. Mother has said very beautifully, only fire can light fire. If I have the fire inside, I can light it. There is no second way. Parents have to be living example. They can't just say, there is soul inside you. Unless I am conscious of my own soul, how can I even speak about it? Immediately the child will point out, you talk about the soul, look at your nature, look at your behavior. He will mirror back. It's like, I was reading a very nice story. It's a very good book. The Tao of Pooh and the Day of Piglet. It's about the Tao philosophy but through the story of a bear, two bears. So, the little child bear is asking the big bear, what are you writing? See, I am writing about Tao. So, the Tao of Pooh, he says, the piglet said, what? You mean the how of Pooh? He says, no, no, the Tao of Pooh. Now this little piglet cannot understand what is Tao. It's a big thing. He says, what do you mean? How of Pooh? So he gives him a knock and says, didn't I tell you the Tao of Pooh? So Piglet says, ow, it looks like the ow of Pooh because he's hurt. So he's feeling pain. So again he says, you get away. Don't you see I'm writing something so important? He says, what is it about? Tell me please. He says, it's about calm and wisdom. He says, what did you say? I didn't understand. So the elder one who is writing the book gets irritated. He says, get lost. You won't understand. Did I say it's about calm and wisdom? Now get lost from here. Now in our action, we are contradicting. The story is a beautiful way of relating that how in our actions we contradict what we speak and what we write. And such things fall flat. In fact, they have a contradictory influence. We should never speak to a child what we are not trying to put into practice. Whatever we are trying to put into practice, we can speak about that. But that is what is important. And if we have the fire, it can light. If we don't, then the child should be exposed to those kind of literature, those kind of things, those places which carry the fire. And there are instances where children have gone to a place 
our ashram. They have read something beautiful from the Bhagavad and Shurabindo or from Vivekananda or from X or Y or Z and suddenly they have been ignited with something because they contain living fire. And when once that fire is ignited, the journey goes on. And finally space, the spiritual education. That means essentially after all this, to set the child free, to be offered at the feet of the infinite. There is a time when we should say no to parenting. It's your life now. It's no more my rule is over. And this is very important to realize that from 5 to 10, from 10 to 15, 15 to 20 and 20 to 25, gradually the parent should recede in the background and the person in the child should come in the front. And once the child is 25, we should know whatever little or big role I have, that is over. It's his journey. He will explore it in his own way. We may feel happy about it, we may feel sad about it. We may thank the Divine for it or we may say why this happened. But as we said, Divine has infinite patience and infinite wisdom. Sometimes it takes us through hell because winding through hell turns the heavenward route. We don't understand it because we don't have that reason. We live within a very narrow frame of one life. We should know if that is the passage, that is the passage. We should be there as a presence. If necessary, the child should know, parents are there, he can always consult. But essentially, he should be free to make his choices. And if he does not know how to make his choices by the time he is 25, then, then we can say perhaps we have failed. By then he should know how to make responsible choices as a grown-up adult. I think this is where we can close it. Basically it's about nothing else but the way the Divine deals with us in the world as a parent. And if we can just become a little reflection of that, just a small little reflection and not a shadow, then I think we have more than justified our there is any questions we can quickly take up. Please be seated. Authentic love. The worst is insecurity. 
in between there is something called dependency. So in that case, it's very good for the parent or the grandparent to slightly try to distance from the child and to give space to allow him to develop a relationship with other foster figures. And this will be a, this can be done in many practical ways depending upon the situation. In the ancient system, that was the idea of the child one day leaving the parent and going into the Gurukul. Now this was, of course, the Gurukuls have turned into something very uh, mixed thing nowadays. It's not necessarily a very nice thing. But uh, generally, after a point of time, it is better that the child is less under the influence of the parent or the grandparents. So, some people do it by the child, you know, having their own room. In the West, they do it like that. The child has his own room and he studies there. Or it is his room, his space. So, parents don't too much interfere. But in India, we have a system that the child not only is in the same room, he sleeps with the parents. And it's not at all healthy. And certainly the sooner we get rid of that, the better it is. And the second way is of course, hostel. If it's good, but it can have its own repercussions. The third is simply to quietly detach, to encourage the child to be on his own. Yeah. Yes, very beautiful. Thank you so much. The idea of sanskaras during pregnancy. Now, I just passively touched it in the form of stories to a child. Sanskaras basically are sowing seeds, good seeds. And they are seeds sown into the subconscious. Now, inside the subconscious, there is deep inside hidden, a hidden sun which must come out one day by the contact of the higher sun. Higher sun. The supramental bringing out from below the hidden eighth sun of Aditi to use a Vedic figure. Now, how to attract this hidden sun? Now, there are very beautiful stories which relate to the collective past of humanity. There is in our subconscious mind many beautiful things which are hidden. To put it in a metaphorical way, the blood of Arjuna flows in our arms. We still have the sound of the flute of Krishna somewhere in some secret space of our nature. We still have Rama's Parush flowing in our veins. Our heart and nerves and impulses can still be quickened by the song of Vrindavan. Now that is why in India we have the beautiful system of Itihas, the Mahabharata and the Ramayana are called Itihas. They are history of mankind, they are not history of, you know, a nation or of a civilization. They are history of birth. It's a struggle between darkness and light. Each character is a representative. So one of the beautiful ways of putting sanskaras in a child was through these historical, history in the deepest sense, not historical, the way we understand history, but the history of the race. Now as a result, when a child is five, up till five or even up till ten, child receives it passively and it goes into his chitta, the subconscious memory. Before he is exposed to the television culture, now once it goes inside, gradually, partly the collective nidhi, the collective treasures come out attracted by that. 
second at an appropriate time these things will come out when the right time is there those things will come out so it is best done but we need not limit it to mahabharata and ramayana stroganov speaks about the arabian nights there are many other tales eastern and western which are very beautiful and through these stories we can sow the seeds in the child we need not give moral of the story that spoils it to give one simple example isop's fable there is the story of the turtles and the child uh, and the rabbit now the story is very beautiful but the moral is very horrible it does not apply to real life if you tell a child so and study wins the race when i told the story to one of the child and then i asked what do you get from the story so some children being while shouted so and study wins the race because they read it so one child said something very nice but is it necessary to win the race always he was very right and then he says also it is not true not always slow people win the race so i asked him what do you gather he said tortoise is tortoise rabbit is rabbit they are two different things why should they engage in a race what he was trying to say was a very deep truth if there is a race on the water tortoise will win if there is a race on the land rabbit will win he was pointing that everybody has his own swabhav and sadharma but in his child like language and they must develop along those lines so we have to be very careful not to give these morals to the child but let the child learn his own lesson from that we have so many stories and through that the, the for a child that is the best way rather than saying this is good that is bad because if we do that then it may develop a kind of artificiality and for today's children it becomes very difficult because nature is breaking the mold and if we want to do it like that in little older children we should give reasons because we have reached the peak of the rational age and the rational age is passing into the intuitive age so intuitive age means child should feel from inside what is true what is beautiful what is good we should encourage him to feel and more children know it suppose if let's say he is watching a program on tv we say don't watch we channel firstly we are doing it we cannot tell a child to begin with if we are watching tv and we tell don't watch so much tv we are but suppose we say okay you want to watch this all right we have heard this also you tell me which one makes you feel more beautiful inside most children will tell the correct answer he has become conscious now he will still watch something but now a part in him is there awake it knows what i am doing is not the best thing it's not the highest thing i am observing and then you should also be willing to learn i was surprised by a child whom i was talking about pop music and saying see these metals what do you feel about them aren't they very hard on the ears suggesting in this way he said yes metals are not good but this kind of pop music is good it was firstly i opened that there are different types and then he said something very interesting he said wait i will tell you the lyrics of one of the music tell me whether it is good or not he used the same mechanism on to me i said all right so the lyrics were stunning the lyrics read let yeah i just complete in a moment that let us find 
children of tomorrow on the shores of infinity. These were the lyrics of a very modern English song. Now the thing is that children have to, we have to make them participate. Now at childhood, by stories, sanskaras can be put and as the child grows up and of course by observing the example, living example in parents and as they grow up, reason should be introduced in whatever we kind of teach them. Yes, sorry. Okay, during conception time I will invoke the divine. 
It's like some people say, when I am going to die, I will take God's name and go to Vaikuntha. This was asked to Shuramindo, is it true? He said, yes, the Gita says, but there is the other sloka which people don't listen. It says, therefore, O Arjuna, remember me at all times and fight. Then it would apply. So it is not like that suddenly during conception we will say, okay, somebody spoke of conscious parenting, let me invoke the divine. It doesn't work like that. So the preparation, tilling the soil, we have to work upon ourselves and that's why the tragedy of human nature is we all know what is right. We don't have the will to do it. As Duryodhana says, I know what is dharma. I don't have the pravrati for it. I know what is adharma. I don't have nivrati from it. And of course, that's why Shurandha and the mother speak of the yoga of transformation. It's a very difficult part. And the mother gives one, summarizes it in one word, which, with which we can stop, the word which we should carry home. Now, there are plenty of books, beautiful books. And of course, mother and Shurandha have written so much it's a treasure which I think it's a tragedy that human beings don't need it. So much on every sphere, parenting, everything. In fact, every sphere they have it. Parenting, education, everything. But the tragedy of human life is, even when we have read, we don't put it into practice. And the mother summarizes it in one word. That is because of insincerity. can really inspire, maybe become sincere. It's a very beautiful statement, sentence of the mother written down below in the dining room. Draw of practice is much more valuable than an ocean of theories, resolutions and good advices. So let us stop here a will and aspiration to put into practice rather than simply speak about it.